talk about goalies a couple of times, um, mainly around Mike McKenna, uh, because this veteran keeper is playing his eighth, yes, that's right, eighth NHL team already. We're also talking Arizona Coyotes, and our guest uh, this week happens to be, well, they bleed blue a bit like me and Jolon, if we're honest, they're a Leafs fan, but they also write for the Arizona Coyotes uh, fan website. They'll be telling us more about that website and what troubles are facing Arizona right now. It's not looking pretty, so we head down to the bottom of the league table and find out Who's going to fly? Who's going to die in the next few weeks of the 2018-2019 uh, NHL season? We've also got some stuff on debuts as well. I threw this out on social media earlier as well, just to see if anybody had some good debut stories of players they remember watching. And we have some nice, particularly recent memory ones on there, which we'll go through. And we'll talk a little bit about the All-Star game, mainly because... There is another star that is now going to be missing from the All-Star game. So, um, Jolon, you still not got your hair cut then? Uh, no, no, I, I do not. Uh, because, Times are hard, as you uh, said. Yes, it is January and I still haven't been paid yet since Christmas. So uh, this, this hair is going to have to last till payday. You're gonna be, uh, you're gonna like have uh, growing it out. You get a little like, um, I don't know, a, a baboon by the end of the month. <laughs> the, this is gonna be irony, brilliant. The, the irony of all this is because you think my hair is quite long at the moment, which actually is not the case. And you've only seen me with what I would describe as short hair. So this, even though is quite long, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things in my life, is actually not that bad. One day I will show you my driver's license photo, and you will—it's a whole different life. You'll think this is like a number one cut compared to that. I cannot wait to see that. I there want you, you to tweet that. I would love <laughs> you to tweet, tweet that. Tweet my ID. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. We can scrub that bit out. Yeah, well. Oh, dear. So thank you to so many of you who have been following us and um, also connecting with us on Twitter as well. We really feel like we're starting to get to know some of you as our listeners. And I really enjoy that because the reason we do this is, is to build a community. Um, we want to connect with other NHL fans who are hiding in different corners of the planet, uh, staying up late at night, getting up early in the morning to watch their team play, no matter whether they're riding high or you know skimming the bottom of the league as some people might be right now, particularly if you're over California way. But we would love to hear from you. We, you know, we've got these email addresses and we've also got our Twitter as well. So we are always, uh, quite simply, at NHL fans from afar on Twitter. We're also NHL fans uh, from afar at gmail.com. And if you can, please uh, subscribe to this. If this is the first time you're listening, you're joining us, you're an elite league fan and uh, you're connecting with the wider NHL world, make sure you subscribe. And if you can, rate and review us because that means that we reach more people just like you and I and Jolon who want to hear about what we're doing. So, Jolon, mm-hmm. um, the con- consistency is the word that uh, comes to my mind when we look at our team, Toronto Maple Leafs, because it's been like one day of amazingness and the next day of what just happened. We've got yeah. goalie problems. Uh, we've got injury trouble. We're seeing shutout to shut out. 
I mean, ugh, this has, I, I kind of said this a couple of weeks ago, how it, this, the last few weeks of being a Leafs fan, you've seen all kinds of array of emotions that it comes with being an ice hockey fan. Yeah, I think that's true. Although I think um, reading some of the, the reactions to Toronto's last couple of games, I think we've, we've, we have Leafs fans have got to remember that, you know, actually we've got to look at this a little bit uh, if we zoom out just a little bit from these results. I mean, we played a team in Vancouver at the weekend who are at the end of a six-game road trip, um, were without their superstar youngster who arguably has been, you know, doing a lot of the heavy lifting this year for them. Um, so the 5-0 was, it probably was about right because Vancouver weren't in that game for the whole entire game. However, at the same time, you know, we hit them at a good time. So I don't think we should look at that with kind of, you know, too high. And then I've just finished watching the, the Nashville game from last night as we record this podcast. And again, you look at the score, 4-0 gets shut out, not great. You know, this is not what you want at home. But much like the Tampa game, when you look back to when we last played Tampa, the actual performance was pretty good. And there were plenty of positives there. And actually that game could have gone completely different direction if Matthew's goal had counted, you know, an inch of William Nylander's skate. If he was an inch back, that goal would have counted 1-1. And then who knows, Matthew's for some reason seemed to forget how to score that night. He missed an open net, he hit the post, Kapanen hit the post. So the margins in hockey are so fine. And I think it's just the fact that you look at that game 4-0 on the score sheet, it looks like, well, how can that be 4-0? And then the previous game was a 5-0 win. Whereas actually, if you look at the performances and although frustrating they can be, they're on the right tracks as a team. But you're right, the consistency factor, you know, we are not a Tampa Bay. We are not a Nashville yet. We are not a team who can win night in, night out. But what I think is good for Leafs fans is that when they do switch it on, my days, they are good. And that is the bit, whereas for me, I think if they can learn these lessons now, and lose those games against Nashville and lose those games against Tampa, but be in them and play them, fine to lose them now and learn from them so that then when you're playing them in the playoffs, you've already been there and you know how to do it. That's the very positive view from me there. That probably isn't the answer I would have given three hours ago when I just finished watching that game because that would have just been a sweary <laughs> well, rant because that's what we are as fans. I do want to remind you of a few episodes ago when we did oh, our no, stupidly early predictor. We okay, yeah, right, yeah. we did that, and yeah. um, I do wonder because you had said that Toronto Maple Leafs will win the Stanley Cup this year, and that meant beating <laughs> Washington Capitals. It meant beating Toronto. Uh, sorry, Tampa. Bay Lightning and it yeah. will be in Boston Bruins. So Toronto play Boston Bruins this weekend. If Do they? they lose against Boston, will you <clears throat> will you revamp this uh, piece of paper that I'm holding up, I, waving uh, at you? <laughs> um, not necessarily. I think the the biggest thing about this game against Boston coming up, which I actually haven't clocked, was this soon. But is that what has been so disappointing? is how we've lost to Boston this year. Earlier on this year, it was one of the most disappointing games, I think, that we've ever played against a team who you really wanted to win. I kind of link it a bit to the, the Islanders game that we lost. Those, to me, were the two most disappointing regular season games that we've had this season. 
because there was something on the line just as a regular season. You had the John Tavares story and you had the Boston from last year stories. So Leafs fans wanted those games and the team didn't show up. And so for me, against Boston, it's not the case of we must win it, although it would help looking at the standings. Boston are the team who are, who are chasing us now into second place. They're only something like four points behind, I think, in the standings. So it is a big game. It's a divisional game. You want to be winning all your divisional games. However, for me, it's about the performance. And if we can match them, or if we can at least play as well as we have done against Nashville and going back against Tampa then that for me is the thing we're looking for. If we can't turn up for that game, that is when I would start to get worried. All right. Well, we'll, we'll come back to uh, the Atlantic division uh, a little bit later on um, and recap those. But I think it's worthwhile introducing our guests because there is a bit of a blue theme going on here today. Um, James Reeve joins us today. He is our guest. Hi, James. How are you doing? Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm uh, doing pretty well, actually. So you're in the sunny, shiny, happy uh, square place that is Milton Keynes, are we right? Yes, yeah. Born and, uh, born and raised in Milton Keynes. Man is, Mil- is, is Milton Keynes square? It's, got, it's all like grids, isn't it? It's like kind of uh, a man-made like city. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you like um, things North American, you'd probably enjoy Milton Keynes. It's based on um, like a New York City-style uh, grid system. So Two blocks. Uh, do you yeah. know what? I've heard many things about Milton Keynes. I've never heard New York and Milton Keynes being put together. That's, uh, <laughs> that's interesting, James. I may well visit. <laughs> it's certainly worth a trip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, James, you have followed ice hockey since 2005-ish. Um, and these days, you, your passion kind of ends up covering three teams, which some of us find it difficult just to keep across one team. I don't know how but, you do it both from the UK and from North American point of view, just give people an insight into uh, the, the teams that you look out for at the moment. Uh, so obviously, um, coming from Milton Keynes, um, as I was getting into hockey in the early days, I followed my local team, uh, Milton Keynes Lightning. And now I'm actually fortunate enough to um, report on the team for a local radio uh, station's website, um, so I interview the players, interview ownership and the coaches and everything. Um, in terms of the NHL, though, um, I am a diehard Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Um, yeah, you are, James. I, <laughs> I write about the Leafs um, for a website that is part of Fansided's network. Um, I've been following the Leafs since I started getting into ice hockey, predominantly because my family were looking to move to Toronto at one point. And being quite into sports, I thought, oh, I'll have a look and see what sort of teams are going in Toronto. Um, obviously, type in Toronto sports, first team that pops up is the Maple Leafs. So I was like, oh, I've not really watched ice hockey. I knew about my local team a little bit at the time. Um, so I watched the game and I've loved it ever since. Um, even when the team was doing absolutely awful, um, all the way up to today's Pretty enjoyable uh, experience. I've been a Leafs fan. Um, I also cover the Arizona Coyotes for a website called Howlin' Hockey, which is, again, part of the fan-sided network. Um, with Arizona, I kind of have a soft spot for them. One of my best friends, he's a Coyotes fan, so we always had discussions and debates about our teams. 
because for a, a while both of them were kind of bottom <laughs> oh of the my barrel. God. Drowning but, your sorrows together, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, one of my one of my favourite memories. Well, I say favourite, but it's <laughs> one, an awful memory. Is um, I was at my friend's house at three in the morning watching the Leafs lose the four-one lead they had against the Boston Bruins in the playoffs, and walking home that night, I was so depressed, but then I got a text from my mate and he said, it's all right, at least you're not a Coyotes fan. <laughs> you never made it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we've, been th- we've been there together. And uh, even though he's very optimistic about his team's hopes, um, they just don't seem to get the luck uh, that other teams do. Yeah. See, one of the things that I find interesting for you is that you've never watched an NHL game in person. And I suppose you must make up for that um, going to see Milton Keynes Lightning play. I know they've only come into the Elite League in the last few years. They uh, expanded the, the league, didn't they, to include a couple more teams. So Milton Keynes and Guildford came to join to make it a 12-team uh, league instead. What what do you how do you kind of see things differently when you watch the game live to when you're sat at three a.m. watching a game on the TV on your own? Um, well, I'm certainly more awake at the Lightning games <laughs> due to the time. Um, but I mean, nothing can compare to watching hockey live. The atmosphere is phenomenal. Seeing the players zip around the ice. Um, at a good level as well, the Elite League is often compared to the ECHL, um, kind of like the third-tier American League. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, on our team, we've got like an ex-NHLer in, team, in Tim Wallace, uh, played over 100 games in the NHL, had a very famous fight with Milan Lucic uh, while he was playing for the Pittsburgh Penguins a few years ago. Um, That's a brave thing to do. Yeah, and uh, Wallace is a, he's not the biggest of guys, um, and he told a story recently about that fight where he was on the bench Lucic was chirping Crosby and uh, he got his coach basically just said go stand up for your teammate so he did and uh, it was about two minutes long and Lucic almost swings him around the ice about a thousand times but (laughs) Wallace never went down until the very end so it was quite impressive to see but I mean in terms of watching hockey there's nothing better than watching the game live um, at a respectable time as well 3 a.m.s are unfortunately long out the window for me Um, far too old for that now (laughs) but um, if a game highlight is on or if a replay is on I'll be watching it Free Sports has been amazing with a lot of their coverage of hockey across the world this year. That's um, on uh, Freeview TV, isn't it? For yeah. people in the UK. Yeah, they've co- they put a lot of the NHL on the fly uh, stuff, haven't they? Um, I've kind of stuck that on when I've been watching my tea a few times just to kind of recap. But uh, Sometimes it's a couple of days old, but it's better to watch some hockey on telly than none, I suppose. Oh yeah, days without hockey can be quite dry. And um, their recent coverage of um, the Elite League has been fantastic. They've covered two MK Lightning games this year, um, which were really well received from fans. Um, And their coverage of Great Britain last year was amazing uh, with the uh, World Championships gold medal uh, promotion. Tell Tell me about it, James. I had a whole day without hockey yesterday and it was a day off. And uh, I ended up watching an NFL game. 
That's how bad it got. I actually sat down and watched three hours of NFL instead. That's how much <laughs> I miss having hockey around. Someone that's worth following on Twitter actually is Aaron Murphy. Um, Aaron uh, heads up a lot of the the um, coverage when it comes to Elite League and NHL. Um, he's done all kinds of things: Premier Sports, the free sports stuff. Um, he's really great. He he's based out in Dublin these days, um, so he sits in a little booth and does commentary on some of the key games. Um, but he is Canadian and used to play for a bit, but uh, I think he got an injury which harboured his growth within the sport but he, he's a great one to follow on twitter to keep in with what's kind of happening across uh tv coverage um for the uk anyway uh, really interesting guys aaron with two a's um funny enough actually on my my facebook memories it came up because two years ago um i used to cover manchester storm in the elite league and um, we actually got headhunted for a, a tv program of the highlights package that we put together and wow. uh it was on, yeah, it was on, we were on a Freeview TV channel, Sports Clang. Tonight or something. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Whatever, it was, it was brilliant though, but you know, it was, you, you recognise with a, a sport like ice hockey to get any kind of TV, TV coverage, even on a tiny channel at the, the end of your Freeview TV channel box, um, makes such a difference, doesn't it? We need more people to know about this, this amazing sport and the stories that are behind it. I mean, one of the things that I always found interesting when I looked at the Elite League, just like you were saying about that Wallace story, was the legends that are coming across. And quite often, if they've been ex-NHLers or had decent stints in the AHL, never made it NHL, when they got to nearer the end of the career, they and their families would come over to, to work in Europe. Um, and the stories that they would tell or whether they were ex-NHLers, um, Brian McGratton, um, who was Calgary Flames and I mean, just a, a legendary enforcer. We talked about Ice Guardians in the previous episode and he played at Nottingham Panthers for a while. Um, he, he was an incredible guy and I, I think he's gone to work in player development these days. But it is amazing how some of these people that we watch on our TV screens, suddenly you can go and watch a game in the UK and they're there on the ice in front of you. Um, I mean, who, who's been the, the favourite person that you have met and interviewed, James? Oh, it's, I mean, it's got to be Tim Wallace, if I'm honest. I mean, he's such a chilled sort of guy. He's very like, warm and welcoming to the fans and people that speak to him and I mean just his knowledge of the game you can clearly see it I mean he's a now player coach um, for MK Lightning um, his knowledge has helped the team change the way they play and perform uh, to no end really he's had a big impact on the team already after having only joined this season and he's fast becoming um, one of the most liked um, players to have played for Lightning um, in such a short space of time as well. And you were talking about players that are coming over. I do think now the Elite League is getting to a point where it's not a joke league anymore. Players from around the world are taking it very seriously. It's a good level of hockey now. And, uh, I mean, you can see that by the most recent addition by the Nottingham Panthers, who managed to get Chris Stewart, who played over 600 games in the NHL as recent as last season with the Minnesota wild in Calgary flames. And I mean, getting players of that experience um, at the very highest level of the game is fantastic for hockey in this country. 
Mm. Liam Kirk is a, a someone who we've mentioned a couple of times, who is the the first English born and trained uh, player to be drafted in the NHL. And it's funny you should say that because kind of there are more people coming over here, but there's also him going out there. And I, I can't remember the guy, but there was somebody quoted not long ago who's kind of in the NHL, one of the NHL organisations, and said, you know, Britain is somewhere we would now look at because of the likes of uh, you're Liam quoting Kirk. me. I'm, a, I'm not quoting you. You you're must quote, have been quoting someone else. You're quoting me because I told you it last week when I said it's his agent. His, his a, Liam Kirk's agent, was it? Yes. Right, okay. So I'm quoting Liam Kirk, Kirk's agent. There you go. Uh, but yeah, from a reliable source. <laughs> um, but what I, you know, he's doing really, really well. I was just looking at his stats and he's kind of, you know, he's scoring goals for fun in the OHL. And surely success over there... I kind of feel there's a lot riding on Liam Kirk's shoulders, rightly or wrongly, but there is, because he has a chance, just because he's the first one there, he has a chance to really light the way, and that will surely then increase interest over here. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, um, obviously, as an Arizona Coyotes writer, I follow Kirk quite closely. Helps that he's British as well. And he started started off um, okay in the first couple of games. And yeah, it wasn't a great start, was it? Kind of slowed down for a while, but over the last few few weeks, he's really started to finally gel and click and understand the game over there. And I was reading a ridiculous stat. It was something like 11 goals in 16 games or something that he's had. It's just he's suddenly turned it on. And I do feel that his experience playing for the Sheffield Steelers last year will be helping him because he's already used to playing against bigger, fully developed guys, whereas in the OHL with the Peets, he's playing with like some 16-year-olds at times mm. who maybe have the skills but m- might not have like the body shape or the size that he's already been used to in this country. So see, seeing him do well over there is great for the sport at this time. Obviously, Tony Hand and Colin Shields, they could have had a chance before, especially Tony Hand as I'm sure many British fans of the sport are familiar with, um, chose to come back because he was homesick. And, you with know, the Oilers, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he played, what, four games in the WHL? Scored five points, I think two goals or something. So he had the talent, but he decided to stay at home. Um, whereas this time, Kirk's going for it in America. And I think... Arizona is a great place for him to go. One, because the media pressure is far lower than other teams. Um, So the expectations might be a bit lower as well, considering how the team has performed. But also because he might actually have a legitimate chance of making it in that team with the the way things are. Yeah, I remember when I chatted to him about it after I was asking him, you know, uh, what, how did he feel about being drafted to the Coyotes, knowing that, you know, they're, they're not a, a franchise that has been draped in silverware over the last few years. How did he feel about that? And he was so positive about it. He was saying, look, you know, this gives me a great opportunity to, to perform well in their system, but then with a realistic goal of actually making their NHL team. And I don't think that's, un, that's unrealistic because... The Coyotes, for for many things that they have done over the last few years, they do move a lot of players. They move a lot of contracts. So there are always spaces on that roster. 
And I don't know, I was trying to put myself in his shoes and think if that was me, then yeah, I probably would want to be drafted to a team like Arizona as opposed to a team like, I don't know, a Nashville or a Winnipeg or even a Toronto where I know the chances of getting in are so much slimmer. It's different if you're a first overall draft pick and you're kind of guaranteed a place on the roster. But if you're a guy like Liam Kirk who's going to have to battle his way in, then yeah, surely that's a great place for him to be. I would also say that Arizona, um, very surprisingly, has an excellent, like really excellent um, minor affiliation with the Tucson uh, Roadrunners. Hmm. Last year, they won uh, the Pacific Division. This year, they're second. Um, I think they're about four or five points um, away from first. But they are now starting to see players progress from Tucson up to um, the Coyotes. Connor Garland is a player that has been really impressing over the last few games. Scored twice in the five uh, five nothing um, route of the Rangers uh, just a night or two ago. Um, he's been starting to look really good, and there are a few players on Tucson that have been kind of up and down um, with the team. Robbie Russo was called up at one point, but sent back down. Um, Kyle Capabianco uh, used to play for Sudbury in the OHL is leading the team in points and he's a defenseman. Um, there are players that are starting to progress in the AHL that have a real shot of moving up into the NHL, especially with a franchise that, as you said, moves so many players. Um, I mean, this Coyotes team is almost unrecognizable from like just a season or two ago with the amount of players that have moved as well as the amount of injuries that the team has had and their injury luck has been terrible for the last two years. Mm, and that's yeah. one of the key things, isn't it? Because you, uh, looking at the Marlies and how going to our kind of other team that we've talked about in Toronto, looking at Toronto's success now, that is due partly and actually a huge part of it is due to the fact that the graduation of Marlies through to their NHL roster has been incredible. The likes of Nylander, Kapanen, Jonsson. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Marner, all of these players who've gone through the Marlies and lit it up, but then they've progressed well has been a key thing. It's interesting you mentioned about the injuries um, for Arizona as well, because we were having a look at this just before we started recording. And the Arizona Coyotes injury reserve this year, according to Cap Friendly, is $24 million. Now, I know that they've got a couple of contracts in there that they've brought in, like Marion Hosa and people like that, you know, who are, who are her salary dumps, really, let's face it. But there are also a lot of injuries in there that is going to hit a team, a, a team that is quite light roster anyway, really, really hard. Oh, yeah. I mean... On the injuries reserve, if you take away Hosa and Boland, it's about $14 million. Which is still that, high, isn't it? I mean, it's that's phenomenal. High. You've got Jason Demers, who's probably top two defenseman in yeah. Arizona. You've got Antti Ranta, the starting goalie, who just yeah. cannot stay healthy. I mean, at the start of the season, the Coyotes went on a five-game win, five winning streak and Ranta was looking like a Vesna candidate. And yeah. Everything seemed to be up for the Coyotes. And then he goes down twice, was out, came back, wasn't really fully healthy. And now he's expected to be out for the entire season. Really? Mm. It's yeah. a knee injury, isn't it? Uh, it's, um, 
Yeah, they think it's a knee. It's only been listed as lower body, um, but he's expected to miss the entire season. Demirs is missing the entire season. Dvorak, who's also quite a young, talented mm. centre, scored 15 goals in back-to-back seasons coming into the league, was expected to take that next step pushing up. He's missed the entire season. Like, he didn't even start the season. Really? Yeah, um, he was probably going to. He was probably projecting to be second or third line center, depending on how Alex Galchenyuk has performed. Well, just looking um, at his contract, I mean, he's he's in his e- final year of his ELC this year, but then he signed a four point four million dollar contract for the next however many years at twenty two. So yeah, I mean, you're really hoping that he's going to 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 sign that deal and then get that injury. That's horrific luck. Yeah, he signed the contract and then it was literally about two weeks later the team announced that he was going to be out for the entire season. And, I mean, you could see fans' heads drop. Speaking to my best mate, he was just like typical luck of the Coyotes. I mean, they ended the season on such a high last year Mm. that they thought, right, carry the momentum forward. They added um, Barrett Hayton in the draft, which was a huge surprise at the time. But um, I wrote a piece just the other day about how well he is performing in the OHL. In his draft year, he scored 60 points in 63 games, which is, you know, okay. But this year, if he played the same number of games, he would score 104 points, (laughs) which is like 40-point difference in less than a year. And... So they added him, but they decided to send him back to the OHL. And they thought, right, Dvorak scored 15 goals in back-to-back seasons. Maybe he can start to become a guy that could be a regular, maybe 20-goal season player. But the injuries have just decimated this team. Michael Grabner getting the stick to his eye with that very famous picture that he took and showed everyone on (laughs) media. And Nick Schmaltz, um, guy they got in the Brendan Pellini, um, Dylan Strome deal with uh, the Blackhawks, he started performing exceptionally well um, for the Coyotes. Almost a point a game player, and he's injured as well. Um, I think what's interesting in this situation is that when it comes to whether a team will float or sink in a season, there are two things that come up injuries or a goalie situation. And the fact that for Arizona, they are facing issues around both at the moment. I mean, if we take the goalie situation at the moment, we we were just looking around. So obviously, Antti Rantner out for what we think is going to be the season. Um, The backup is Darcy Kuemper, but I think, I don't know if you mentioned, but he'd also had injury and has returned. We just noticed that Calvin Pickard um, has been uh, drafted over to to the Coyotes AHL team um, as a potential. Where are they at? If we just look at goalies on its own, what is the situation here with them at the moment? Okay, so... um... So Ranta, obviously, he goes down injured. They've got Darcy Kemper as the backup. Quite a bit of experience in the league. So they've given him the starting position. Ranta comes back, gets injured again. So fortunately, the Flyers decide to place Calvin Pickard on waivers. So the Coyotes, obviously being a very low-ranked team, managed to snatch him away from the Leafs because... Yeah, supposedly the Leafs put in on him, didn't they? Well, yeah, I mean, they lost him to the Flyers. The Flyers have been 
god awful this season. <laughs> and they thought, right, we need another change in goalie. They've had like six goalies in Philadelphia this season. It's been ridiculous. Yeah, just like um, Claire was saying, with the how if there is a, a a franchise who have been shot down by bad goaltending, look at the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, they are a prime example of that. Yeah. So they claim Pickard, but they've. I mean, Pickard has not played a single game for the Coyotes after being claimed. Oh gosh, when was it? Yeah, it was Maybe. a few weeks ago. Now, wasn't it? He's played two games. December for um the ahl team and i forget what they call it it's something like runners there you go yeah i know it wasn't it doesn't it doesn't naturally slip off the tongue that one i've got to say (laughs) well i think i think that the coyotes have the best miners affiliation supporting name because they are the coyotes and the roadrunners so it's like why the roadrunner which I think is fantastic. <laughs> Not many people have realised this, and I no. think missed opportunity for jokes. <laughs> yeah, it's good that. No, I like that. That's very good. But yeah, so, so I mean, what what goaltending is such a key thing. Uh, you know, is is Quenford just gonna? Is he gonna play the rest of the season as a starter? Yeah, the way it's looking, Kemper is gonna stay as the starter. However, I wrote a piece just the other day, kind of pushing for someone else to get this role, and that person is called Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill was the Roadrunners starting goalie last season and he started this year as the Roadrunners starting goalie again. He has come up to the NHL and he's playing as the backup at the moment. Now he's played he's played in 11 games but only 10 games so far have been given the decision to him because of the amount of time he's been on the actual ice. In those 10 games that he's been given a decision he is 7-3 and 0 so he's won seven games and only lost three and Mm -hmm. he has put out some spectacular performances now Kemper is quite solid but his stats this year have not suggested that that's interesting you say that because Aiden Hill is only 22 years old but he's six foot six Oh my goodness me! Um, <laughs> but his stats actually looking at uh, elite prospects at the moment not amazing. He's point eight seven one for for Tucson Roadrunners uh, for Arizona. He's played twelve games and uh, he's got a nine one six save percentage. So okay, um, yeah. However, that his statistics so he's played 12 he's played in 12 games he's averaged 2.36 goals against with a 0.916 goal save percentage 0.916 is about league average yeah and it's higher than kemper and ranter and hunter miska who's the other goalie that has played in a game for the coyotes this season so in base stats he's allowed the fewest goals and has the highest save percentage all goalies. So, also, whilst we talk about stats, because just reading, um, reading on some articles of Arizona recently, uh, there was one that I read somewhere, might have been on the Athletic, I think. Uh, it just popped up, and I thought, oh, I should get across that. It, um, penalty kill, the the you know doing pretty all right when it comes to penalty kill. That probably helps a goalie's save percentage, eighty-eight point four percent which is not necessarily bad. They're second in the league when it comes to shorthanded goals, which is what? And in eight of past 13 games, they, but they scored two goals or fewer. Um, 
so they're not scoring a lot, but they're killing a lot of penalties. Is that what I'm reading from those stats? Oh, certainly. I mean, the Coyotes are quite deep, I would say, defensively. Um, I mean, you've got Oliver Ekman Larson, fantastic, great top two defenseman. Um, if we had Demirs back, then he'd be performing quite solidly as well. Hjalmarsson, who won cups with the Blackhawks, not really a top two guy, more of a top four sort of mid, uh, defenseman, but he has been performing a lot better recently, quite solid overall. The biggest thing for the penalty kill has been Michael Grabner, who is just a wizard at scoring goals when the team is shorthanded. I mean, the Coyotes have 11 shorthanded goals, where the average around the league is four. It's just, I mean, wow. phenomenal how they've been able to score so many goals while having fewer players. Um, my friend even joked the other day that maybe they should start the game with four players and they might win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just play the whole game like that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, defensively, yeah, I think there's a lot to the Coyotes. Um, unfortunately, the Coyotes, they don't, I mean, they don't have like an Austin Matthews. They don't have like a Mitch Marner. We have Clayton Keller, who is doing very well, young guy, 30 points in 42 games, but goal scoring has really been quite lacking this season. Um, again, like last season as well, if Dvorak was back in the team, maybe it would be slightly different. Um, Nick Schmaltz as well, if he was in the team, and Grabner, who's injured. I mean, we're missing some key guys to that team. Um, and I mean, Barrett Hayton has played 20 games in the OHL this season, and he's already got, I think it's 15 or 16 goals. So, I mean, he's looking like he could be a guy next year that steps up and provides some, maybe some third line goal scoring that the team just isn't getting at the moment. Well, let, let's just set the scene for people who aren't kind of up to speed in, in where Arizona are at in terms of the league. Um, they sit second uh, from bottom of the Pacific division, uh, only above uh, Kings. So they get 39 points. Kings have got 37. Uh, they're four, five and one uh, in the run this season. They sit 25th in the league. Uh, they're tied with Detroit and Chicago. Uh, so that kind of sets the scene. If we zoom out from all these ins and outs of the players, which not everybody's going to know. I mean, there's some guys there that you're mentioning that I'm not up to speed with who, who they are. Just kind of zoom out and just tell us a, a little bit about um, the coach and the management setup. Um, how do you say the name of the coach? I, I know his name's Rick, but I can't say his surname. <laughs> uh, Rick, Rick Tockett. Is Tockett, his name. okay. Tockett is his name. I uh, actually, at the start of the season, I didn't really know how to pronounce his name either. So my friend had to correct me when I kept saying Totchett. It's his second season, isn't it, with the team? But he's, he's obviously been about the NHL for a while, either as an assistant or a head, because he's, he's been over at the Avalanches, he's been at Pittsburgh, he's been at Tampa. So he's not necessarily a new face to the NHL, but what is he kind of saying in the press conferences? What's, what's his kind of attitude as a coach? Uh, I mean, he seems quite positive. He seems to understand where the team is at, particularly where injuries are um, concerned. I don't think he's 
going to be around for very long, however. I don't think fans are quite happy with how he is putting the team together, playing players in different places. I mean, you've got Alex Galchenyuk, who they traded for, and at the moment he's playing third-line wing, when really you want him to be playing more minutes as a centre. That's interesting, because that was something that he wanted um, as well, wasn't it? When he was part of the trade with the Max Domi and Montreal Canadiens and all that kind of move that happened over summer, a key thing that he was quite vocal about was that he didn't get those opportunities to play as a, a top six centre. And that was the buzz around the press um, in the off-season, that he really wanted that opportunity. I mean, he has had injury and he's come back. It did that kind of... He missed his opportunity to really get his chance to shine, do you think? Well, he started the season injured, so he wasn't able to play the first few games, but he's been with the team now like pretty solidly since then. Um, he, I mean, he's third in points scored. He's played 10 games less because he missed like the first 10 or so games. It was seven goals, so he's scoring all right uh, in terms of, well, as, as much as the Coyotes can score. Um, he started as a centre, which is the baffling thing, which is what a lot of fans are curious about, is how you can play someone like Nick Cousins and Mario Kemper instead of Alex Galchenyuk when at centre, that's probably one of the weaker areas the team has in terms of depth because of Dvorak and Schmaltz being injured. Well, and when you're a team that are scoring two or, or fewer goals in the last eight of 13 games, then, yeah, you're going to be looking for those, those pieces of the jigsaw that can be good up front. I bet they were wishing in that. They're looking over at Toronto Maple Leafs, hey, Jolon? Maybe, maybe, we, can, uh, maybe we can swap a defenseman for William Nylander. Hey, stop it. Don't Ooh-hoo. you join that flipping group of people who are willing to trade William Nylander just because he hasn't scored more than one goal yet. As a, <laughs> as a Leafs fan, obviously, I love, I, I love Willie. Yeah. I want him to stay. I wouldn't trade him um, for anyone, really, on the Coyotes, except maybe Oliver ekman Larson. But as a Coyotes writer, I also pose the question of, should they have approached the Leafs while he was still holding out for his contract before offering them something defensive in return? Probably did. I mean, it is possible. Um, There is that funny um, belief that somehow the Coyotes are going to offer sheet Austin Matthews. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up, James. Go on, carry on. Which is, I mean, it's just not going to happen. I mean, (laughs) the Coyotes consistently have the lowest cap, one of the lowest cap hits in the entire league. I mean, they have to take on effectively ghost contracts almost every single year so that they can hit the floor of the cap. There's no way that they're going to suddenly pay the Leafs like the next four, five, however many years worth of first round picks. Four. It would be four first round draft picks and 15 million pound contract for Matthews at least. Yeah. I mean, mean, there's no way. It's never going to (laughs) happen. I mean, the Coyotes take on these these ghost contracts just so that they can not get like penalised for yeah. not paying people. I mean, 
their cap situation's fantastic in terms of their ability to grow, but they can't really grow financially at the moment because of their arena situation and yeah. their... Um, and what's happening with that? I was going to say, and, and along with that question with the arena as well, is there much concern that there won't be a team in Arizona in three or four years' time? Oh, I mean, it's starting to become um, talked about so much that fans are genuinely concerned. Yeah, I suppose we've got to set the scene with that, haven't we, really? Because the, the move of Seattle joining the league in 2020, the rumours are, and, uh, and this is where I'll be interested to find out whether there's any truth to this, whether Arizona Coyotes will survive financially and a move to Houston might be necessary. I mean, we'll, I've got the, the rundown, I'll find it somewhere on my screen, about the, what that means in terms of travel itineraries if uh, the Coyotes were to move from the Pacific to the Central Division. Um, but what what is the truth around the the financial situation? Are they are they in trouble because they've not made the playoffs in the last six years? So I do wonder how many tickets they're selling and people are interested in coming to watch them. So there was an article on Sportsnet just the other day, and it listed the figure at about thirteen thousand six hundred people attend um, Coyotes games on average, which is not enough. It's about 4,000 empty seats every game, if that's the case. Okay. They are, the team is determined to stay in Arizona. They are committed to the state. That was the most recent um, announcement by uh, the team CEO, Aaron Cohen, who came out, gave a, um, wrote a letter to fans saying, look, we're determined to stay in the state. There's been a lot of rumors about going to Houston, but we're committed to staying here. They've just agreed a one-year lease extension on their current arena in Glendale. Glendale wants to keep the Coyotes, obviously, in the city. The Coyotes, I think, want more of a commitment from the city to stay there. They looked at moving to Phoenix again. They looked at moving to Mesa, all over the state to try and find a better location because Glendale, it wasn't supporting the team in the way that the team felt was necessary for it to survive in Glendale. So the team's owner has decided that he wants to sell about 49% of the team to someone else. And who are these owners? Um, the owners are, I can never remember his name. It's something Barraway is his name. Um, and the team has said that um, if they Andrew, are... Sold, Andrew Barraway. Andrew Barraway, that's it. If the team is to be sold, they will only sell it to someone that has the intentions of keeping it in Arizona. So they are really trying hard to stay where they are. They don't mm -hmm. want to move. Obviously, they uprooted the Winnipeg Jets way, way back to move to Arizona. If they leave Arizona, it will just be viewed as a big failed experiment. And I mean, they're not getting the attendance that they need, but the fans are some of the best in the league. They are diehard Coyotes fans and the community that the Coyotes are trying to build, I think is a great step forward for hockey. Um, this year, 
the Coyotes as an organization put together a PE curriculum for all high schools in Arizona to teach hockey, like ball hockey. Wow. To get get kids in high school interested in the sport. And I mean, with Austin Matthews coming through, having grown up in Arizona and being the superstar that he is already, I feel like there is a lot of room for Arizona as a state to grow within hockey. And the team is certainly doing or making the moves necessary to try and help that grow. And that's the kind of stuff that we don't see as fans from the outside, as, as kind of fans away from uh, the Coyotes. We just kind of see them as the, a team who struggle every year and, you know, uh, of a weird kind of cap situation where they kind of eat these big contracts and ghost contracts and it's often the butt end of jokes and things like that. Whereas actually, you know, we can all say, well, yeah, it just makes sense, doesn't it? Moving to Houston or moving to Quebec or wherever. But actually... This is, you know, this is a whole area or a whole kind of part of the world that would be hugely affected by that move. And actually, in a funny kind of way, we laughed and joked about the fact that Austin Matthews is not going to be a coyote anytime soon. I do wonder whether he will be at some point. If Arizona stick around, I can see Austin Matthews like living out the twilight years of his career in Arizona because there's kind of quite a nice story there, isn't there? But he's realistically not going to be a coyote anytime soon. But at the same time, he could still benefit that community hugely because of his story and the fact that he is now in Toronto as one of the league's biggest superstars. I mean, he is, he, in a funny kind of way, he should be the poster boy for Arizona hockey. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that every time the Coyotes play the Leafs at home, there is a spiking in attendance yeah. because purely because of Matthews and his whole story and influence um, in that state. I mean, it's, it just shows that all it takes is one player to have a knock-on effect that could help the team in the future. And I mean, he's not going to end up in Arizona next year because the Leafs are going to lock him down. No worries there. I'm not worried about that at all as a Leafs fan. As uh, from the Coyotes' perspective, sure, maybe if the team is still in Arizona when he's like 35, maybe he'll come over and end his career over there. He'll have got so bored of winning Stanley Cups with the Maple Leafs, James, that he'll just want to go and, you know, spread the joy, won't he? I mean, he'll, you know, he'll probably at the end of his eight-year contract, he may have about four Stanley Cups if we're being conservative. And yeah, he'll just need, you know, he'll need a change of scenery when he get a bit of sunshine. And you've got to also think that if he does win, even if he just wins one cup with the Leafs and he takes it to Arizona. (laughs) Yeah, his day with the cup. I mean, his day with the cup, he will no doubt take it to Arizona where he grew up, be with his family and his friends. Yeah. Kids are going to be flocking to see this guy with the cup and it's going to inspire like a new generation of players in Arizona that they just haven't had. I mean, before Austin Matthews entered the league, the most popular player in that state was Shane Doan, who's from Winnipeg. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, the, so what we're saying here, James, is that all Arizona Coyotes fans should also be Toronto Maple Leafs fans and wanting the Leafs to win the cup, yeah? That's what we're saying? <laughs> Essentially, me and my friend have agreed <laughs> that 
he has to support the Leafs as yeah. long as they're not playing the Coyotes. And yeah, I agree to do vice versa as a result. Fair enough. <laughs> I like that. Just want to pick up on, on something that you mentioned there about the, the attendance. Um, looking at ESPN's NHL attendance figures uh, for this season, um, Arizona uh, sit 29th in the league. Um, with only Florida and New York Islanders below them. New York Islanders attendance, 11,215 average uh, home attendance. Obviously, a very load of complications there when it comes to their arena as well. Um, just to kind of give you a bit of context, that the 13,600 or 30,400 uh, that Arizona attendance is, at the top, you, you're talking, obviously, uh, Chicago, Montreal, and Toronto, and they're twenty, almost twenty-four thousand, twenty-one thousand, and nineteen thousand. Just to kind of give you an idea of the bottom and the top end. Um, obviously, with the um, the Seattle uh, discussion, um, we were talking about what that might mean for moving from the Pacific to the Central Division not just in terms of a, a geographical move uh, if Houston comes up, uh, but what it might mean in terms of results um, going from one division to another. And also um, a really good article that I read from Craig Morgan where it talked about the, what difference this means in travel times. And he calculated you know, the, the distance that it takes to travel to Pacific Division cities. Is, is The total is 14 hours. But if they move to the Central Division, then it's something like 20 and a half hours. Um, oh, all those hours on their nice private jet getting served whatever they want to eat in their lie flat beds. Oh, my heart bleeds. <laughs> but you've only got one team that is less than a two-hour trip. Um, whereas currently in Pacific Division, uh, you've got San Jose, LA, Anaheim and Vegas that are all under two hours. So um, you look at what that's cost someone like Vancouver Canucks at the moment, all the traveling they've been doing. You don't want to be a team that's always on the road because surely that's going to decimate the results you have as a team, the more, more travel time. And when you've not got a lot of people coming through your doors in home, it just spells disaster, surely. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wrote a long piece um, about the Coyotes moving to the Central. And I mean, that will be the true test of whether or not they can survive in Arizona, because instead of going to, I mean, local is a relative term in America, (laughs) um, but local rivals like Vegas, who are also like a desert style team uh, environment, very similar, a lot of a lot of similarities between those two teams geographically, LA and Anaheim. Instead, you've got to traipse all the way up to the likes of Winnipeg, which I think is going to be interesting. I think that might be, although it's the longest journey, might be one thing that reinvigorates the team because yeah. a natural rivalry could develop there based on their history. The fact that the Coyotes were the Winnipeg Jets before. So I think it would create quite an interesting dynamic where seeing the Coyotes play in Winnipeg more often creates more of a actual rivalry. Because while the Coyotes, I mean, the Coyotes rivalry, biggest rivalry arguably is against the Kings. They hate mm. the Kings the most, but the Kings view the rivalry with the Ducks more seriously. 
So the Coyotes don't really have a natural, genuine rivalry. It, when yeah. they move to the Central, I genuinely believe that a rivalry will develop between them and the Jets, which I think is great. But then you've got the likes of Nashville, you've got Chicago, Minnesota, and then Dallas is the big one where a lot of people will say, well, they might as well move to Houston because then you can have a Texas rivalry. But in terms of performance, like you were saying a moment ago, genuinely believe that the Coyotes are going to struggle more because on the whole, uh, the Pacific Division is right now weaker than the Central Division. you got the Kings who have just suddenly collapsed in on themselves. You've got Edmonton, who are just a joy to watch every season. <laughs> You've got Vancouver, who are kind um, of in that early... They're on the up. Stage. They're on the up, Vancouver. They're going to be excellent yeah. in a couple of years again. Yeah. Great drafting. The mm. Ducks are old. The, the Sharks are old. They've still got some great players, but they, they are both old teams. The Ducks have just gone on an eight-game losing streak. And they are paying Ryan Kessler like yeah. a million dollars for another four years. Man. And so, I mean, being in the Pacific is going to help Seattle a lot because I can see the Kings, Ducks, and Sharks, and Edmonton <laughs> probably yeah. not being so great. The like, NHL also wanted that rivalry, didn't they, with Vancouver? They wanted the Seattle-Vancouver rivalry. And as you say, that is that is the interesting thing with the NHL because they do they really do push these rivalries. And I think they're going to try and make uh, a big thing of these. Oh, yeah. I mean, Seattle-Vancouver, it makes so much sense. They're so close geographically. It's yeah. going to be a great rivalry that develops. Hopefully, the effect doesn't see Arizona move because I think it would be devastating to the fans if they did. Now, Claire, a couple of other um, NHL things to talk about as well. Um, I wanted to mention, we're going to talk quickly about um, debuts and some memorable debuts, because I punted that out on social media earlier uh, today. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But first of all, have you heard of the goalie Mike McKenna, either of you? I oh, have. Certainly. I follow. Uh, Only this week. Quite yeah. Often. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. I didn't really know who he was until this week. And um, he is playing for his eighth NHL team, right? So he's eighth already. I can't remember what the record is, but he's closing nine. in on it. The so record like nine, is nine. Yes. He's tied it with someone else at eight. Yeah. So, like, you know, the guy is playing for a lot of different teams. And I just wanted to highlight this just because I thought this was. It was really kind of, it just hit home a little bit for me as to what a sacrifice. And yeah, okay, I know they get paid very well for it and they're living their dream. But what a sacrifice the families and the, the players do have, particularly those fringe players. So on the, on the 2nd of January, uh, Mike McKenna is signed or acquired by the Vancouver Canucks. So moves to Vancouver, family move to Vancouver and they kind of move over there and, and all this kind of stuff. And his wife, Rachel, or I think it's his wife, uh, yeah, it is Rachel. Yeah, Rachel um, kind of goes on this kind of little, not a Twitter rant that's too strong, but just saying, you know, this is really tough around this kind of year. You know, tweets like saying that 2019 is doubling down on the stress of 2018 has already caused me, blah, blah, blah. And, and goes on to kind of, you know, say her various woes about moving around. But then... Don't marry As, a hockey player. Well, well, there is that. But however, she then goes on to kind of point out at the end of this saying, you know what, 
Vancouver, great organisation. I've heard some really good things about them. We finally have a chance to be all together again. They're moving to live there and they're going to at least see out the rest of the season in Vancouver. Then to like two days later, two days later, he then ends up moving to Philadelphia. I mean, crossing the country again. And Rachel tweets, note to self, stop getting excited over maybe having my family back together this hockey season. And, you know, there's a few comments about, you know, well, yeah, but like Claire said, you know, you should be lucky. You married a hockey player. What do you expect? And she just pointed out, I'm not going to read the whole thing because there's loads of tweets, but the first two just really hit home saying, hi, everyone. I know I've done a fair bit of complaining lately, but I'm truly grateful for the career and opportunity Mike has had these 14 years. Yeah. Any chance he has to be in NHL is special and amazing one. I'm fully aware of how incredible that is. Exactly. That being said... I have a two-year-old who cries and occasionally thinks her daddy doesn't love her anymore because oh. he hasn't lived with us in two months. She can't understand how special what her dad does is and her tears and heartbreak are devastating to witness. She then goes on to talk about it and she talks about, you know, more being supportive and but the impact that has on their family. And I just thought, actually, it yes, it's a lot of money. Yes, it's a hugely privileged job. But yes, it is a huge sacrifice in lifestyle and if these guys have got families as well in moving around and it's something i just never really thought about as a fan when i think well yeah we should trade picker to so-and-so we should trade so-and-so well actually yeah these are these are human beings and these have like families and kids and setups in place i just i i thought it was uh, very interesting it goes on find her on twitter and there's the whole thing there um but yeah and it's the human a, side to hockey yeah on yeah. a lighter note though uh mike mckenna's kit um, in Philadelphia looks incredible. By the way, he's gone for like the matte black mask and black pads with just bits of orange. It looks incredible. Looks incredible. Supposedly orange is his kid's favourite colour as well. So she was a fan of the move eventually. Let's just Sorry. hope he actually gets to wear them. Well, yeah. yeah well, that, and that's the thing. The guy's moving all the way over. Um, another thing to mention as well is uh, we were talking about uh, debuts. And this yeah. was... I like this, this. Yeah, this came from um, the fact that, well, Hutchinson as well um, got, not on debut, but got shut out for Leafs the other day, but mainly came from some good news from St. Louis. Now, that's not a phrase that anybody has said this year because St. Louis has had a god-awful year when they were expected to do really well. However, Jordan Binnington has given the Blues something to smile about. And what he has given them to smile about is he got a shutout on his debut for the Blues the other night. Now, that's pretty good. And that's pretty good going. And so I punted it out on Twitter and just asked people um, what were their kind of uh, favourite debuts they can remember from their teams. And I also pointed out that people should reply quickly or all I'm going to do is talk about Austin Matthews' four goals against Ottawa in his debut, which in my opinion is the best debut ever. Four goals. The only downer was they lost the game. Um, in typical Leafs fashion. Um, but we had some comments from our resident Dallas fan, Matt Day. He was saying that uh, maybe Fabian Brunstrom scored a hat-trick on debut in 2008, uh, but then didn't really live up to the high. Um, and three years later, after a couple of trades, uh, disappears. Uh, he said his favourite recently is Miro Heskinen. Heskinen, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, he didn't score on debut, but... W- He's just so excited about the future after that first game. I remember him really standing out 
And Steve, who was on the podcast last week, uh, in recent memory for him, it was when Nathan McKinnon got two points on his debut. And then what happened is it sparked a little bit of a Twitter debate between um, the goalies and the forwards in Leafs world, right? So we had um, a couple of guys kind of saying, well, remember Garrett Sparks was the first ever Leaf, the first ever Leaf to get a shutout in his debut for the Leafs. Um, and then a couple of other people were saying, well, this is ridiculous because you can't say that that was better than Austin Matthews scoring four goals on his debut in Ottawa. <laughs> and then it, the, the back and forth, the back and forth about it all. And I thought, I'm sure in this podcast, we'll be flying the flag for opposite sides, whereas I'd be saying Austin Matthews and you, Claire, with your obsession of goaltenders, would say Garrett Sparks should win it hands down. <laughs> Actually, what I did when I saw about the interesting debuts, I went back in history when I got my stats out. Of course you did. Eh? And I went back and I thought, there must be like some right weird ones, you know, 100 years of the NHL. So there are, there's loads of weird ones. You could just Google it, to be honest. There was a, there was a player called Old Poison, um, who in 1939 got five minor penalties in his debut. Um, in 1951, this guy played one game of which it was uh, the game which won Chicago Blackhawks a Stanley Cup. His name was Wayne Hillman. <laughs> that is pretty epic, isn't it? And then the one that I found interesting, because uh, I forgot to ask if you got behind the bench for Christmas in the end. I did. Yeah, I've got it here. I haven't started reading it yet, but it's uh, top of the list. Well, one of the chapters is about John Tortorella, now Columbus Blue Jackets um, coach. And uh, his name came up in one of those chapters. This incident is discussed. Uh, It was a game in January 2014 where um, pretty much there was a massive rivalry between Calgary Flames and when John Tortorella was then coaching the Canucks. And within two minutes of the game, breaking uh sorry within seconds of the game um starting uh the flames coach bob hartley basically put three goons for the opening face-off and a massive brawl just broke out <laughs> this is like yeah 2014 and one of the people who tortorella put on um was a rookie uh kellen lane who's six foot six so he wasn't any kind of small person but it was his nhl debut and it lasted exactly two seconds so he got a game <laughs> Oh, that's excellent. So, and I, I went and I watched that, uh, that brawl on YouTube. Uh, it's out there. That's a particularly interesting moment. But uh, John Tortorella in the book discusses how he was actually quite friendly, on friendly terms with Bob Hartley until that moment. And it, it resulted at the end of the first period, John Tortorella going to the visitor's dressing room and having to be held back because he wanted to start a fight with Bob Hartley. This is all happening in the tunnel. And the players are sat in the home dressing room watching it all on the cameras brilliant uh, and the final uh, the final little bit of news to tell you is that a second star has pulled out of this year's all-star game that star is Carrie Price the 10 million pound goaltender of the Montreal Canadiens who's not playing very well <laughs> um, but he has pulled out due to worries about his health and being in, uh, you know having a tough year with injuries he much like Alexander Ovechkin will have to sit a game either side of the all-star because he was picked and that's the way it goes but interestingly they went for that option so that's now two stars that are going to be not in the all-star game and what is really interesting is that in the strongest division in the NHL, probably at the moment, in the Atlantic, the goaltenders this year 
are likely to be Jimmy Howard of the Detroit Red Wings, because he's already in. And why won't it be the Montreal Canadiens backup, Antin Yemi? Because, well, every team's supposed to be represented. So surely that means Montreal have to have that goaltending spot. But can you make Antin Yemi an all-star? I just think it's hilarious. I know there's a lot of people saying, well, it's, it's wrong that he has chosen not to go. I don't blame him for not going because Montreal need him. He is their, he is their season. And if he plays well, then great. If he's hurt, the season's over. But I just think it's very funny that you could end up having the Detroit Red Wings and the Montreal Canadiens backup goaltender as the Atlantic's all-star goaltenders. Freddie Anderson and Vasilevsky, neither of them going. <laughs> just on that note, actually, with all-stars, because I, I know the, the ballot closes on January the 10th, which will be the day that this podcast comes out. I guess, James, that they you'll be uh, there won't be many people to choose from for the Arizona Coyotes because they're either all injured. Uh, what have you got? Your captain is he the one who's going? No, um, who is it? Clayton Keller has been named to the All Star game already. Oh, I know. Your captain is in one of the votes, isn't it? Yes, for the for his the, division, uh, yeah. Last men in. Um, so. Oliver Ekman Larson. You wouldn't want to play them, would you? What if they got injured during All Stars? <laughs> yeah, that is the worry. Um, I think Keller fully deserves his place, but we are kind of fingers crossed that he doesn't get hurt. Well, it's definitely not going to be a goalie, is it? Put it that way. No. Uh, your, no. your team. Not at all. <laughs> Sorry to rub that in. Um, what, uh, what else was on the list, Jolan? Was it caps and hats that you had? That's pretty much on? it. I mean, I was going to talk about hats, but. I'm I'm running late for dinner reservations, so cap the uh, the whole hats chats is going to have to wait till next week's podcast. I'm sure you can't wait to download that. Is that going to be your teaser? Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, people, you've got to listen to the next episode of NHL Fans from Afar to find out what on earth Jolon means when it comes to uh, caps and hats, um, and how much trouble I get into for being late for dinner because I was too having too much fun talking hockey. <laughs> James it's been a pleasure having you on here can you just let people know um, some of the places they can read your stuff so they can yeah, find quickly, out more James, about you I'm in trouble <laughs> I am um, I'm found on Twitter at James RJ Reeve R-W-E-V-E um, and then you can find my stuff on Howlin' Hockey no G Tip of the Tower and MKFM for all three of the hockey teams I write for Fantastic. Well, we wish you the best of luck with Milton Keynes Lightning. And thank you for joining us so much. For everybody else, make sure you hit subscribe, rate reviewers, and uh, Jolan's going to go off and have a nice tea. Oh, he's gone. No, I'm, I'm just putting my shoes on. This is actual uh, recording a podcast while trying to put your shoes on at the same time.